I'm telling you, if you took that two minutes and played it every day of your life, and every day of your life were reminded of who you are, what God's done, how valuable you are in His sight, how you're not defined by your past, your problems, your personality, but by the power of the living God, it literally will change your life. You need that, we can try to get it to you in some way or the other, but I'm telling you, if you live that truth out and recognize that it's not just words on a screen, but it's actual words from the Word of God and the power that He promised us and the things He's made available to us and what He's done for us, it literally will change your life. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're visiting us today, we're honored that you've chosen today to be a part of our family together. Anything we can do to help you in that, we'd love to do that. So let us know. There's some information outside these doors and some help we can give you or things we can do for you. We'd love to do that. People visit us every Sunday. We want to make sure we make you feel welcome, but answer all your questions. So if we can, let us know how. A lot of other information in your bulletin, so we encourage you to take advantage of that. We've got uh, car crews coming up. We have family night trap shoot. Today's the last day to sign up for that because I need to know whether or not we're going to go through with it. So if you're interested, just make sure you do that or let us know by tomorrow. A lot of other information in your bulletin about upcoming events. Please make sure you read them very carefully. I have sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. I'd love you to take them out. We're going to walk together through Ephesians chapter 1. Last Sunday morning, we began this powerful book, and we're probably going to be in it for the next couple of months as we unpack some of the most amazing truth in all of Scripture. I've called it one of the greatest books ever written, one of the greatest letters ever written to the church. And not just to a particular church, but written to us, the church. So it's God's love letter to you. It's what Paul really wants you to understand. And so as we process it and read through it over these next weeks together, I trust that every single week you'll come with an anticipation of, what are the new things that God wants to teach me? What's something maybe I've not seen before? What's something I don't live out based on what I'm seeing in the Word of God? It's been around for 2,000 years. God's preserved it over time. Matter of fact, He said, heaven and earth is going to pass away before my Word ever will. So He preserved it for a reason. I know you who are parents, when you have children, you wonder every once in a while if they would come with a guidebook. So you'd know what to do and how to raise them and how to make sure you're doing the step-by-step. There is a guidebook for life, and it's the Word of God. And I would really love you to be in it on a regular basis so that we can understand it and live it out. It is one of the greatest things God could have ever given us outside of salvation and all that Christ offers us to help us get through life. And it's one of the reasons we spend so much time in the Word of God. My voice is getting better. I hope you can hear me. And uh, I appreciate for those of you who pray, but every day it's kind of getting a little bit better. So I trust that I'm able to communicate well, especially by the end of the second service. I began to think over the last couple of days, what is the best way to present what it is that Paul is doing in this particular chapter, in chapter 1? And this is what kept running over and over and over in my mind. Those of you who are parents... And I've got to believe that it's most of us in the room, or at least the majority of us in the room. Have there ever been a time in your life, maybe it's not even as a parent to a child, but maybe a, a friend to a friend or somebody in your life you're trying to influence for spiritual things, you're wanting them to really understand what it is that God's done in your life and how you want to communicate that. But go back to the concept of being a parent. You've got a child in your home who's not necessarily living out the values you want them to live out. Now, maybe most of you in the room have perfect kids. 
They just grew up perfect. They've been perfect, never giving you a problem. But maybe one or two of you in a room have a child that every once in a while you spend a lot of time praying for. Whether you ever had the conversation with them or at least thought about it, but I got to believe every once in a while you wanted to say to them, do you have any idea how blessed you are? Do you have any idea how blessed you are? Maybe you've had that conversation with them, and I'm sure you've wanted to every once in a while along the way. Do you have any idea how much I love you? Even in the midst of all of your stuffs and all your problems and all your flaws, do you have any idea how much I love you? You may not get everything I'm trying to tell you. You may not understand all that's going on in your life right now. You may not understand what the future holds. But I, I just so desperately want you to fully understand how much I love you. You're a teacher or a Sunday school teacher and you're seeing these students parade in front of you every once in a while. And every so often you want to say, do you wonder if they get it? You've invested time and energy and love and a lot of work in their life. You've had people come in and out of your life. And every so often as a teacher or a leader of some kind or the other, you, you find yourself in a situation where you want to say, will they ever get it? Do they really understand? Do they really understand? Maybe you are that parent who had a child wander away from God gone through deep waters and you've tried to communicate to them who they are and what they have and what you've done, even though you don't hold it over them in any way, but you do want them to understand what it is you've provided for them and how unbelievably blessed they are. And you wonder, is any of this working? And many times in the still of the night when no one else sees, you find yourself on your face before Almighty God. they get it. I want them to see how blessed they are. I want them to see what you've done. I, I just so pray they understand who you are, what you've provided, what you've made available to them, how much you love them, what you offer them. I don't understand why they're not getting it. I don't understand why they seem to be rejecting it. I don't understand why they're not fully committed to you. But I'm, I'm on my face before the Almighty God, and I'm, I'm just simply praying that they get it. If you've been there, then you know the emotion of Ephesians chapter 1. If you've ever been there at any time in your journey with God, then you really get a little glimpse of the emotions of Ephesians chapter 1. And if you're in the middle of raising children, you're not sure as to how they're going to turn out and some of the things they're going to do and some of the direction they're going to head. I'm telling you, from my vantage point, as someone who's been in ministry for a long period of time and worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families through the years, you may get to that point where you are on your face before Almighty God. And you are really praying that they understand what it is that God has done. As I began to think about that process and setting up Ephesians chapter 1, I found myself wondering, has God ever thought that about me? Has God ever thought that about me? Has God ever thought that about you? 
We whine about stuff, we get upset about things, we do things that really don't make sense, we make choices that we really shouldn't make, or we just get uptight about some of the dumbest things in life. And every once in a while I find myself wondering if God ever looks down from heaven and says, are you ever going to get it? Do you have any idea how blessed you are? Do you have any idea what I've done? Do you have any idea what the future holds for you? Trust me. Just hold on and trust me. I know he's done it to me. Now, again, you're all the perfect ones, and he maybe has not had that problem with you. But i got to believe every once in a while he's thought that about me. Same way here. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul gives us a glimpse behind the curtain. He allows us an opportunity to see what it is that God has provided. He kind of pulls back the drapes before time ever began and says, I want you to know how loved and valuable you are. I want you to know that the God of the universe, the Son of the universe, the Holy Spirit of the universe, before time began, had a plan that you would have the opportunity to be a son or a daughter of the living God. You weren't a mistake. You weren't a byproduct of problems. You were having the opportunity to come onto this planet, and you have the opportunity to be a son or a daughter of the living God. God chose you from the beginning of time. That's what he's always wanted you to be. That's what he always in his heart wanted to have you understand, that you have been chosen by God, that you're not a mistake, that you are loved and you are passionately cared for by the creator of the universe. And so he unpacks this section of scripture to help us understand that we have the opportunity in Christ to have all of our past forgiven, completely wiped away, the opportunity to start all over again. We have the forgiveness of sins that Jesus, who knew what our sins were, who knew the price required, was willing to pay the price so that we could be set free. So when later Paul writes to Corinthians and said, you're bought with a price, i got to believe that he had this in mind, that marketplace that we tried to describe last Sunday morning, the slaves being auctioned off as if they were pieces of meat that no one cared about, and then someone walked along and bought them, didn't define them by their flaws or by their idiosyncrasies, didn't define them by how good they looked or how bad they looked, just simply said, I want you to know that I will pay their price and I will set them free. They're loved by me, the creator and the God of the universe. And I want them to be my children, adopted into my family. I want them to have an understanding of what it's like to be able to walk free of all the burdens and all the problems of the past, to walk freely into the throne room of Almighty God, and to be able to have a conversation with the God of the universe and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that He hears. I mean, come on, you as wives, do you ever wonder once in a while if we hear everything you've said to us? I mean, I, I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of that. We'll say later, I did say that. I said, you did? Yeah, I said all of that. We, we talked about this. And we did? Yeah, we had a lot of conversations. About it. I said, I don't remember that. We only listen. We guys only listen to ha just get to the bottom line. That's most of us, right? Just tell me the what. I don't need to know the why. I don't need to know the wherefore. I don't need to know the how. Just tell me the what, right? Is that most of us, guys? The problem with that is we don't get all the information. And we find ourselves, thanks, we are. We, I don't know if it's going to help, but thanks, anyhow. 
This is mine, right? Doesn't, okay. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. All week long, I had a wedding rehearsal. I had a family funeral on, Friday, on Thursday and a wedding rehearsal Friday night and a wedding on Saturday. And the rehearsal Friday night, I thought, man, good night. I'm Peter Brady going all the way through the change the entire time. Now, for only three of you in a room, that means anything to you. But y'all remember Brady Bunch when Peter Brady was going through the change of life and his voice was always changing back and forth. I hope that doesn't distract you from anything we're doing this morning. Paul wanted them to clearly understand who they were in God and what he's done for them. What he's offered and now because of that, I have the opportunity to become a son and a daughter of the living God. And it's almost as if there's a moment in time when Paul is preaching and declaring truth where he says, I, I, I've got to stop preaching I just got to pray. I pray they get it. So for this reason, what reason? Everything I just said. God's pursuit of you from the beginning of time. God's unbelievably passionate love for you. God's desire to have you as a child of his own. God's willingness to forgive all your sins. Wipe your past clean and give you the opportunity to start life all over again. Keeps pride from being a part of our life when we can think we did it by ourselves and it keeps us from a low self-esteem where we think we're not valuable and the enemy beats us up all the time and constantly reminds us of our past. Because of all that he's done for us, he walks into our life and said, look, I want you to fully understand what it is that you have. And so for this reason, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in Christ, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'll know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you can know and understand the hope that he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power. For those of us who believe. His power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And he seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. <coughs> Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is invoked. Not only in the present age, but in the one that is to come. And God placed all things under his feet and adopted him to be head over everything for the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You want to pray a prayer over your kids? You want to pray a prayer at night for your children, for your family, for those that you're trying to share with, for your friends that you've tried to invest in? You want to make sure they understand the changes that God has done in your life and the things he's done for you, and you just want them to understand that, and you want to know how to pray for them? Man, that's a great prayer to pray. He backs off preaching, and he tries to help them Please, God, help them understand what it is they've just heard. Paul knows that it's not enough for people to just hear the truth. They've got to understand it. He recognizes that teaching can only go so far that he's got to call on the Holy Spirit to enlighten them. He says these promises are something that has to be embraced at a much deeper level than your intellect. He doesn't even tell them how to live the Christian life until chapter 4 because they can't live what they don't understand. You can't live the lifestyle if you don't understand the principles. It's like your parents telling you to do something or not do something, but never telling you why. Every once in a while, I find myself in a situation where as a pastor, I do that. 
We'll stand in a pulpit on a Sunday morning telling people what to do, but we don't always help them fully understand who they are in Christ and then how to live what we just asked them to do. Because if people don't fully understand the process of who they are in Christ and what it is that God's done, they're going to find themselves in a position of running around just trying to do what's right. They'll come on Sunday morning, get all pumped up about the Christian life until they find out that Christianity sometimes is like a Sunday morning halftime pep talk. We've been in a service where we feel like every once in a while we're getting pumped up to go out there and just live the Christian life. Beat the devil, don't sin, get all fired up, and then by Tuesday you run out of emotional energy and you can't wait till Sunday to get back to church and get fired up again. Ever been like that in your journey? Where you feel like every so often you just can't wait to get to church, to get all fired back up again because you're not living the life he's called you to, and by Wednesday or Thursday it's fallen flat. That's not necessarily the intention of Sunday morning. We do our best to encourage you and excite you and ignite the fire in you. But if something that you're only depending on for the Sunday morning experience to do, you will fall flat by Tuesday or Wednesday. It's like a football coach who gets, who's a great motivator and gets the team all fired up, but they lose all the time because they don't know the fundamentals. You can be the most passionate, fiery coach on the planet, but if they don't know the fundamentals and they don't know how to do what it is that you've asked them to do, they're not going to win. And many churches are like that. We have people riding an emotional roller coaster, trying to fully understand how to just get through the week. Now, other churches resort to guilt or intimidation to live the Christian life. You can't live what you don't understand. And when you bypass what it is that God's done for you and the power of God's Spirit available to you, then you're bypassing the real motivation and understanding of living a spiritual life. The real foundation from which godly life flows is not motivation, manipulation, or guilt. The real foundation from which godly life flows is the full understanding of who I am in Christ, what I have in Christ, that I'm a child of the living God, that I've been bought with a price, that I am that valuable to Him, that I have the God of the universe to come to, that I have an inheritance that is secure that will blow my mind. And I have to believe that it's true. Now, there's another, and I want to be very sensitive when I say this. Every so often, I run into a, a trend in, in Christianity that causes me a little concern. It, it, it's called the quest for something more, something new from God. I want to get it more of the Holy Spirit. We run after conferences and seminars and events. We want a, a new experience. Now, I want to be careful. I'm not saying God isn't working in all of those situations. We want to be more obedient. We want to be more submissive. We want to be more loving. But when you came to Christ, let me ask you that question. Did he come all the way in? Or did he only come in part way? All the way in. Look at verse 3 in the section of Scripture we read last Sunday morning. He has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing. His divine power, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 in your sermon notes, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. The biblical view of salvation is this. Salvation grants the believer everything he needs. The Colossian church that Paul wrote to later was looking for something more. The Galatian church reverted back to earning salvation. It's not Christ in philosophy. It's not Christ in legalism. It's not Christ in a mystical experience. Paul said, don't let anyone mess with your mind. Christ is sufficient. 
We need to, by faith, use what he's already given us and let him have all of us holding nothing back. Not seeing Christ as fire insurance so that when it comes to the end of life, I get out of hell and I go to heaven because I accepted Jesus as Savior. But we don't want him to mess with the rest of our lives. It's allowing ourselves to be totally captured by God, powered by him, dwelled by him, having every aspect of my being. Letting him have all of me. Do you remember when we were kids? And we may have gone in one of these scientific experiences or maybe we just went to an old pond and we got a tadpole. You're all looking at me like you don't even know what a tadpole is. This is a tadpole. All right, remember them? We had a pond in our, we had a large farm. We had another little pond, a larger pond, another little pond. And I mean, there's tadpoles everywhere. And so we'd go out with a little net and we'd capture these tadpoles and we'd put them in a fish tank. Right? And we'd just watch them grow and develop. And before you know it, they would get a leg or two or uh, another leg. And all of a sudden, the tail would disappear. And eventually, they would become the frog. Do you all remember that? Watching that process go through. And remember when we were kids, we are just watching that next step and that next step. It's that way with tadpoles and frogs. But it's not that way with humans. When my girls were little, Connie didn't call me up one day and said, Dan, you're never going to believe this. Aaron finally grew an ear. <laughs> Rach finally grew that other leg. Dan, you'll never believe it. What we wanted them to do was mature. They had everything they were needed when they were born. They were complete. What we wanted them to do is grow and understand what they already have and to use what's already been given to them. That's what Paul is praying for. That these new Christians will learn to use what they've gotten in Christ. Otherwise, they're going to spend all of their lives on a roller coaster ride trying to get something more. So Paul prays. He uses a phrase in verse 18, I pray that they understand with the eyes of their heart. That the eyes of their heart may understand. For us, the heart refers to our emotions, our feelings, right? Love songs are geared to the heart. But when Paul wrote this, the core of their feelings was not the heart. It was deeper than that. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, in the original version, it was deep in their bowels, deep in their gut. That's where they felt things, way down deep inside. The heart for them meant understanding. It was a thinking organ. And I say that for this reason. Paul was not appealing to their emotions. He was appealing to their thinking first. The big deal is this. Paul is affirming that the basis of Christianity is not an appeal to the emotions. It is an appeal to your understanding. Because if you're governed by your emotions, you're in for a ride. Paul prays they fully understand, fully comprehend what it is they have in Christ. And then respond to that. Many Cults appeal to the emotions, loneliness, rejection, rebellion. All the things you hear about ISIS or ISIL, whatever we call it, of pulling people in who were somehow isolated or rejected from society, didn't feel like they fit anywhere else, dealing solely and calling solely to the emotions. If they really clearly fully understand what it is they're doing and what it is they're going to do, they most likely in some cases wouldn't do it. It's all designed to appeal to the emotional need that they're looking for in your sermon notes. When you really understand what you and I have in Christ, who we are in Christ, we don't have to run around looking for something more. We have it all in Christ. He's sufficient to lead me into a lifestyle that pleases Him. 
prays that they fully understand the power that's available to them. We've been redeemed. We've been blessed. He's been describing us all along. He wants us to understand as believers the power that we have available to us. That unbelievable great power to us who believe. Paul is praying that we understand the power of God available to us. Power to evangelize. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Not able to bring people to Christ because we're great communicators. It is because the message is the power of God unto salvation. And once I really understand that, then I just simply am not ashamed of the gospel and I share the truth. The message has the power to change the life. Power to endure suffering. In 2 Corinthians 4, he said, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So that we'll fully understand the all-surpassing power that God has in us. Not getting from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're never in despair because we know that his power is available to us to get us through and out the other side. We say, we will, I don't have that kind of power. You do. Acts 1.8 says, when you receive the power, you'll receive the power when the Spirit comes on you. When you lay yourself out and make yourself fully available to God, that power is going to come on you. We were also included in Christ when we heard the message of truth in verse 13. The gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit, and when you have the Spirit, you have power. All available to us. Same power in verse 20 and 21 that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's pretty big power. I don't feel like I can get through the day. I don't feel like I can... Get through this experience. I, I don't feel like I can get through this pain. I don't feel like I can get through this disease. Yeah. Power of Christ made available to you will allow you to walk through any single circumstance if you trust in him. Now, if you're trying to figure it out on your own or trust in yourself or do it by yourself, then you are going to struggle with that. But he has the power available to you and I to get us through every single circumstance in life. Paul also wants them to understand who they serve. He's the greatest master of all kind. In your sermon notes, never underestimate who you are in Christ. We need to understand the power available to us, all this made possible because of the greatness of who Christ is. And when I really understand that, it will change how I live. When I fully understand his plan for me and who I am in Christ and what he's offered me, when I fully understand who I am in Jesus and the power available to me to live the life he's calling me to, when I fully grasp and understand that, it will change my life. Many believe that Paul wrote this whole first chapter as a doxology, as an avenue of praise, an opportunity to just stand and reflect on what I have, what God did, and what I want to say to him in light of that. That I never want to take what he did on the cross for granted. That I never want to underestimate the power available to me. That I never want to live beneath my privileges. And so we sing and we celebrate because we recognize who we are, who he is, what he's done, what we don't have to go back to, what we can look forward to, and what we have available to us in Christ. And that's why we sing. That's why we celebrate. That's why we're going to sing in a moment as we close this morning. If you have any TV at home at all, you know that this is the time of the Olympics. Whether you watch them a lot or not, or whether you like them or not, I enjoy the winter a little bit more than the summer. 
But it is fascinating, and you watch the Parade of Nations, and you kind of find out some things about people and places that you probably would never experience, and you find out the struggle of some and the difficulty of others and how really blessed we are in the United States. we got a lot of problems and a lot of issues, but I'm telling you, we're one of the most amazingly blessed pl- countries on the planet. And it allows you for the every once in a while to kind of get a perception of that and a perspective of that so we realize how blessed we really are. It also reminds me of a future day when people from every tribe and every language and every nation will gather around the throne of God. And the God of the universe will give us a crown, will give us a reward for what it is that we have accomplished in his name. And when I see all those nations gathering and people from every tribe and every language, I can't help but think of Revelation 21 and just kind of picture that day of what it's going to be like when all of us from the family of God get the opportunity to gather around and give him praise. And then the God of the universe says, great job. Man, you got it. You understood it. You lived it out. I really want you to fully grasp now what I have available to you. So here, enjoy it all. I sat there the other night watching the opening, and then there was that image or glimpse of that enormous statue over Rio de Janeiro, Christ the Redeemer. And the thing that stood out about that to me was the fact that no matter where you were in Rio de Janeiro, you saw that statue and you could see that statue. It was that fascinating image as to what they were trying to do is that God is everywhere and God makes himself available to you and Christ sees you wherever you go. I'm not sure what it is they had in mind originally, but when I saw that statue, leave it there, Jay. When I saw that statue, all I could think about was the image that Paul was trying to project throughout this entire book. I want you to know, I want you to fully grasp, I want you to fully understand as a believer of the living God that Christ is with you everywhere you go. And he wants to be seen everywhere you go. So he wants to be seen in your life. He wants to be evident and visible in your church. He wants to be seen in your marriage in chapter 5. In chapter 6, he says, I want to be seen in your home. I want everyone to see that Christ does make a difference. I want everybody to see Jesus everywhere you go. You are the body of Christ. He's the head. He's directing the steps. But everywhere you go, you are the body of Christ. So I want the world to see Jesus everywhere you go. In your life, I want the world to see Jesus in your church. So when people come visiting and kind of check us out, don't you want them to see Jesus and have them spill out all over this campus? But you want him to be seen in your marriage, in your home, in your family, and in your lifestyle. That was Paul's prayer. That everywhere you go, his eyes are on you. And everywhere you go, you have the opportunity to let the world see Jesus in you. He said, I got to pray that you get that. Because when you get that, it will change everything. How you live, how you love, it'll change your family. It will indeed change the world. And that was his ultimate goal when he sent us out to begin with. Change this world. Let them see me everywhere you go.
Father, I know that Paul's passion was not just for the Ephesians. His passion was for the church. Chosen by God, loved by God, bought with the price of the Son of the living God. Redeemed and set free to be all that you've designed us to be. And so as Paul prayed that we fully grasp and understand that, and I know there are parents in the room this morning who have prayed their kids get it, understand it, and live it. Lord, oh God, in the name of Jesus, help us as a CAC family to fully understand what is available to us in Christ and to live it every day of our lives so that everywhere we go, the world sees Jesus. 